You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning on this second Sunday of Advent is taken from Isaiah chapter 7, the verses 1 to 17. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shariashup, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Remalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest heights or depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Our text this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1, the verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. And the angel left her. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, today as we proceed with our Advent series of sermons, we see that the messianic offensive continues. And it continues, I might add, with a very diverse set of characters. Already we have met part of the seniors contingent or the seniors crowd in the persons of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And before the whole story is told, we will also meet the person of Anna and probably Simeon, who also belongs to the same contingent. And then there is also the angelic contingent. We have met a part of it already in the angel Gabriel, and we shall meet more when suddenly they appear in a great company above and sing above the fields of Ephrathah. And soon, too, we shall meet the foreign contingent when the wise men come to town. How many of them were there? And how many servants came with them? We simply don't know. And then you might say there is also the scruffy contingent. Here I am led to think of the shepherds. I know that many people today do not see them as scruffy uh, or as a bunch of questionable characters with even more questionable morals and reputation. In our day, they have been transformed into a rather quaint and respectable bunch of people. But you know, that's not the kind of glowing reputation that they had in those days. Oh, and then there is also the hostile contingent. Here I'm led to think of King Herod and the Romans. Herod, that upstart evil ruler, and the Romans, those nasty conquerors. And so have we mentioned all of them? No, there is at least one more contingent that deserves our attention, and that is the youth contingent made up of Mary and Joseph. At least that is what we assume, right? We assume that Mary, being a virgin, was young, and we assume that Joseph was about the same age as Mary, perhaps a little older. Only notice, beloved, that these are assumptions. 
For nowhere are we told the age of either Mary or Joseph. We are not even told right out that they were young. It's an assumption based on the impressions that we have received. And taken together then, it's obvious that the messianic offensive of our God involves a lot of diverse people. And no doubt all of that adds to the character as well as the color of the season. And you know, in addition to all of that, it does something else. It runs the danger of something something negative. And what? Well, it may lead us in the direction of assuming that Christmas is really a wonderfully warm, winesome, and worldly affair. In the process, you see, of reflecting on all of these different characters, we may forget that this season is really about our God. For it is God who guides, directs, and selects, and makes everything possible here. It is God our Father who makes it all happen. He is the first and the prime mover. And we should never forget that. He's the one who orchestrates everything and makes it perfectly ready for the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, and if you want to see just how instrumental God the Father is, then I invite you to turn with me to look at his revelation to Mary. I preach to you the messianic offensive moves forward with Gabriel's visit to Mary. And we shall see how Mary becomes the recipient of the amazing grace of God, the rich faithfulness of God, the indescribable power of God. Well, beloved, the fact that all of this is under the direction and supervision of God becomes apparent already from the opening words of our text. For it says, in the six months, God sent the angel Gabriel. In other words, the angel Gabriel went at God's command and according to God's timetable. And so where was he sent? Where did God send him? Well, it says first that he was sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now you might say that represents quite a switch. Earlier the same angel had been sent to Jerusalem and in particular he had been sent to the temple and to a priest there. And this means that he had been sent to the capital city of Israel as well as to the most esteemed place, not only in that city but in the entire nation. And in a way, you know, that's fitting. That's where angels are supposed to go. But they're not supposed to go to Nazareth of Galilee. For what is Galilee but a nondescript little town? And what is, or what is Nazareth, and what is Galilee but the most backward district of the land? No one goes there. No one with any standing or importance or clout goes there. And certainly no angels go there. But Gabriel, the angel, goes there. 
He who said to Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God, goes there. And in him you can say God himself goes there. Gabriel goes at God's command. But to whom does he go? Does he go to the mayor? Does he go to the richest man in town? Does he go to the most important or the most educated personality? No, he goes, it says, to a virgin. A virgin called Mary. And Mary, a name probably meaning excellence. Now, what does that mean? It means that he goes to a person in the town of Nazareth, in the region of Galilee, to a person who actually has no standing or significance whatsoever. On the whole, women didn't count in Israelite society. And certainly young women didn't count. And as for young unmarried women, they didn't count at all. They had little in the way of rights and they were simply regarded as part of their father's household. And if so, you can say the angel goes to a nobody. Now that's perhaps not quite true. For this virgin has at least one thing going for her and that is that she is pledged to be married to a man called Joseph. And that fact gives her at least a few rights. For you see, in those days, marriage was a two-stage affair. The initial stage was called the engagement or the betrothal stage. And it involved a formally witnessed agreement to marry, as well as a, a financial exchange. And at that point, the woman legally belonged to the groom and was referred to as his wife. Now, in most cases, about a year later, this would lead to the second stage called the marriage stage, after which the husband would take his wife home with him and they would proceed to live together. And hence, Mary, this betrothed virgin, had some rights. In addition, there's also something else in her favor, for our text says that Joseph was a descendant of, of David. Now, some read the text in such a way that they think that Mary was also a descendant of David. Supposedly, she was of Davidic ancestry. Only that, beloved, is not at all clear. Indeed, Mary's descent is actually disputed. For example, we know that she was related to Elizabeth, and that Elizabeth being a descendant of Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. So Mary must have had, if she was related to Elizabeth, she must have had Levitical blood in her veins. Did she perhaps also have Davidic blood or blood from the tribe of Judah? We cannot be certain. There's the possibility that she had none. There's the possibility that she had both. 
But in any case, that's not really a matter of great importance because what counted in Israel at that time was not her descent, but his. It's from the father that any and all future children will get their rights, their name, their standing. And hence the fact remains that in and of ourselves, Mary had very little going for her. She really is, as she will soon reveal in her song, among those who are of humble state or estate. And yet, beloved, in spite of all of that, the angel Gabriel comes to her. And to her he utters some truly remarkable words, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So why is she favored? To be favored means to be esteemed, to be singled out, set apart. It's kind of an honor, kind of a blessing. And and notice that the angel is not talking here about being just a little bit blessed or a little bit esteemed. No, he says, highly blessed or greatly favored or esteemed. And in addition, Gabriel says that the Lord is with her. What does that mean? But that somehow he is beside her, for her, near her. In some special way, his presence and his power surround her life and travel with him. And why is this so? What accounts for this special greeting? Some say that she gets a special greeting because she is some sort of a a special woman some kind of superwoman. And indeed, there are those who insist that what the angel really said to her was, Hail, O Mary, full of grace. In other words, because she's so full of grace, God seeks her out and God goes to her in the form of Gabriel. Because she's already special, the angel singles her out. But you know, beloved, all of that is not supported by our text, nor is it even supported by Mary's own words. The words of Scripture and the words of Mary point to one inescapable conclusion, and that is that here we have to do with a simple, believing, young, probably young, Jewish woman. In other words, there is nothing in her as such that accounts for this special visitation and greeting. So what accounts for this? What drives all of this? Well, beloved, at bottom, just one thing. One really, truly marvelous thing, and that is the grace of God. The amazing grace of our God. The reason for Mary's selection lies in His grace. It has nothing to do with her. 
and everything to do with his stunning good favor and his bottomless good pleasure. For really, if you think of it, not only does Mary have very little going for her, but the things that are against her are much greater than the things that are for her. Is she not a descendant of the Adam and Eve? Is she not a member of the fallen human race? Is she not a sinner and a transgressor? In short, her demerits outnumber her merits. And yet, God chooses her. God's amazing grace grips her life. God's favor goes out to her. God's presence is with her. Truly what drives God's approach to her and to all of us is one and the same thing. And it's grace. We all stand in need of grace. Yes, and in God's most wonderful ways he extends grace to Mary. And to all of his people. Yes, beloved, you and I are also the recipients of God's grace. Without this grace, we would not be in this place this morning worshipping the God of heaven and earth. Without this grace, we would not be in covenant with God and heirs to all of his mighty promises. Without his grace, there would be no forgiveness, no righteousness, and no life eternal. All of God's gifts flow from His grace and His mercy in Christ. And not from anywhere else. So rejoice in His grace. But then, beloved, if the grace of God is operative here, so is something else, so is, you can say, His faithfulness. Of course, at first, Mary doesn't realize this. After all, there is, on her part, nothing else but shock and amazement. It says that after the initial greeting of Gabriel, that Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Initially, you see, she was bowled over by the angel and by his words. And Gabriel knows this. So just as in the case of Zechariah, he is quick to explain, and he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child, and give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and we will call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Here in a few words, Mary receives the most astounding news in all the world. She's told again that she's favored. And in addition, she's also told why she is favored. It has to do with receiving a son, a son whom she is to call Jesus. 
Now surely that is news enough. And notice the angel isn't finished. For not only will she bear a son, but but what a son! Gabriel says he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to receive a throne. He'll be given the throne of his great-grandfather David, and he will reign. He'll reign over the house of Jacob, over all who belong to Israel. And he will receive a kingdom that will never end. A real throne, a real reign, a real kingdom. None of this let's pretend stuff. So what's this all about? Of course, this is about a most miraculous son. And this is also about a long-promised son. And Mary hears these words of Gabriel. Her mind must have gone back in time and history. Like every true Jewish man or woman, she knew her history. And she knew that God had made great promises ages ago to David. Promises found, for example, in 2 Samuel 7 about an offspring who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Promises found in 1 Psalm 132 that we sung, the the Lord swore an oath to David, one of your descendants I will place on your throne. Promises found in Psalm 89. I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. As Mary knew about all these messianic promises. But she also knew something else. She knew that they had not yet been fulfilled. All she had to do was go outdoors and look around the town and she could see that the Romans were in control of the land. All she had to do was go to Jerusalem and watch Herod strutting down the street like a peacock. And as for David, as for their his descendants, as for his throne, as for his power, it was nowhere to be seen. Joseph might have Davidic blood flowing in his veins, but so what? Joseph is but a reminder of just how far David's line has fallen. It's truly David's house. It's fallen. But now along comes Gabriel, and he tells Mary that God has not forgotten. While it is true that these promises to David long, long ago were made, and while it's true that nothing appears to have come of them, the reality is that God has not voided them, dismissed them, or cast them aside. Oh, he remembers them. He will yet act on them. He will bring them to pass. And why does he remember them and why does he now act on them? 
Because beloved, in addition to being a God of amazing grace, our God is also a God of great and abiding faithfulness. What He promises, He fulfills. What He promises, He always brings to pass. What He promises, He makes happen. Not necessarily in our time, but in His own good time. Oh, and how encouraging it is for us today to be reminded about all of this. In some ways, we are like that faithful remnant, that Jewish remnant of Mary's day. In that they believed God, but at times they wondered and even doubted. They must have said to themselves, who knows how often, will will God really do what he's promised to David? Will his great descendant ever, ever come? Will he really sit on a real throne? And will he truly reign forever and ever? It doesn't look like it. And you know, in the same vein, we sometimes ask ourselves, isn't it, will Jesus Christ really, truly come again? Is he really coming again to judge the living and the dead? Will he actually usher in a new heaven and a new earth? Don't we often have our questions and our doubts? But you know, the answer is the same. Both that Jewish remnant of long ago and we who still believe today need to remember. To remember one great thing about our God and His promises. And that is that He's always faithful. Our God keeps His word. No matter how long it takes, our God keeps His word. No matter what happens in the interim, our God keeps His word. Do not question, do not doubt. Believe that the son of David who came through Mary is coming again. And that truly he will reign forever and ever. Someone is still sitting and going to sit on David's throne. But you know how? That's also Mary's question you can see in our text. How will this be? She asks, for I am still a virgin. To which Gabriel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Does Mary, like a good theologian, understand exactly what it is that Gabriel is saying to her? I doubt it. I think she must have grasped something. She must have understood that she was going to have a baby. And she must have understood as well that her pregnancy was going to be different. She must have understood too that in one way or another it was not going to come through Joseph. 
but rather it would come through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that rather obvious from the words of the angel? The Holy Spirit will come, the power of the Most High. If somehow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit at work in creation, the Spirit who equips prophets, priests, and kings, the Spirit who makes dead bones alive, the Spirit is going to come on her. And in addition, He would overshadow her. And that distinctive word must have reminded her about the tabernacle in the desert. And you know how the Lord came in that cloud, that pillar of cloud, and it set over the tabernacle, and the Lord dwelt there and overshadowed it. In short, Mary knew that somehow, in some way, God was going to do a great a stupendous thing in her life. And she accepts this. We're given her very words, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. She accepts what God tells her. No, she does not, as it were, give her permission As some allege, some say that Mary made a deal with with God. I'll do this for you, and you do that for me, and you'll be happy, and I'll be happy, and your intentions will come to fruition. Well, beloved, there's none of that. Rather, she submits. She submits humbly to her God and she praises, notice, she praises His great and His indescribable might. You hear it in her song later on. He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped His servant Israel. You see, Mary looks to her God and she trusts in His great power. The power to give her a son. The power to give her a very special son. The power to work wonders. And the power to redeem His people. As beloved in you and I, You and I are called upon to look to this same God and to His great power. Even today, God still can and does great things today. His arm is not shortened. His might is not shriveled. His power has not wilted. Now today we believe and confess that God's power continues to be exercised. Through David's son and David's Lord. And we, we need to believe this. To accept this, to embrace this, and to be confident about this. Our God is still strong. Strong to save. Strong to reign. 
strong to keep us in the hollow of his hand. And so truly, beloved, as you dwell on all the biblical personalities involved in this festive season, do not forget the most important person. Do not forget the Lord, your God, His grace, His faithfulness, and His power. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we come to you this morning and we bring you praise and honor. And we stand amazed at how great you are. Well, Father, in this festive time of year, we so often reflect on all of the people involved and the angels involved and everyone involved in this great redemptive drama. But we forget so easily about the main actor. And that's you. Lord, you are the great initiator. You are the great director. You are the great provider of everything that happens as we reflect upon the coming into the world of your Son. And Father, you make it happen because as we have heard and been reminded once again, you are the God of amazing grace and the God of a rich and indescribable faithfulness and the God of a power that is beyond our imagination. We bring you thanks and we ask, receive our praise every day. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.